What made Daniel so special? Well, as I mentioned, he was a man that possessed an extraordinary spirit, I think, because he spent time uh, seeking the face of God, seeking heaven. You could say tonight that Daniel took his stand on his knees. And an edict is going to go out that people cannot pray for a 30-day stretch of time. And Daniel, like he did when he was younger, like he had done uh, when we first met him in the book, made up his mind, he took his stand. The uh, culture is beating on us. I, I know as a Christian, as a, a person who's you know, maybe fighting the freeways or working or you're going to school or you're doing both and you're juggling a, a heavy schedule and uh, decisions that you need to make day in and day out, to prioritize prayer can be a hard thing. And sometimes prayer is a hard discipline to learn as much as we acknowledge that there's power in prayer, sometimes we just, we just fail to pray. And I think when we fail to pray, we, uh, we are missing a huge part of the Christian life. Uh, many times I think we could all probably confess together that we're guilty of shotgun prayers. Anybody? You know, we get into our car and we say, okay, Lord, I, I, need, I didn't have a chance to pray while I was putting my shoes on, so here I am on the freeway now. Now I'm going to pray. And I think that's okay because we're told in the Bible to pray without ceasing, right? So we should be in constant communication with heaven. But I do think that there are special times, and I want to encourage you, for those of you who have Living Truth as your home church, there's a group of people praying before our services uh, 15 minutes to a half an hour before each service, there's a group in my office, and I want to tell you, it's not a big group. Sometimes before second service, to be candid with you, there's nobody in there. There's nobody praying. And I know we're busy, and I know that there's a lot of you who are here tonight who serve on a Sunday morning, and so it's difficult sometimes to carve out that time to get in there because you may be doing something else. But I'll just tell you, and God has taught me this time and time again, if we don't pray... We have no power. We have to be in communion with heaven. And I try to make it a practice that any time before I come out here and share with you, because uh, I just know that I don't personally have the goods to do this, I need to get on my knees and pray. I, need, uh, I have to put the message before God and say, Lord, um, if you don't do something with this, nothing good, nothing spiritual, nothing uh, that's really uh, lasting is going to happen. And so I think that's the position that we find ourselves in as people. And it's not a bad position to be in because dependence upon God is where we want to be. Now we're in chapter 6, verse 1, and it says it seemed good to Darius. Darius identified as Darius the Mede who took the throne at 62. Uh, notice he, Darius, appointed 120 satraps, Daniel 6, verse 1, over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. Uh, many uh, have debated the existence of Darius the Mede because they have not found an archaeological discovery, to my knowledge, that has his name on it outside the biblical record. Do remember that in chapter 5, when we looked at Belshazzar, we had skeptical uh, scholars who were denying that the book of Daniel could be legit. We're trying to date it to 165 or somewhere there because they didn't find evidence for a Belshazzar. But in an archaeological discovery, Belshazzar's name was discovered and that he was a co-regent serving at that time. So just, you know, just because Darius the Mede hasn't been discovered yet, don't get nervous. They're going to turn over a shovel at some point and they're going to discover his name because the biblical record will stand. 
But I will tell you this, that there are scholars that believe that Darius the Mede may well be Cyrus the Persian. It is true that leaders of the time had multiple names, and it may be that he was actually Cyrus. This is a debated issue. It's not really that huge, but just throw it out as we were introduced to this particular character. And over uh, them, he appointed three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, verse 2, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss, and this refers to financial loss or to taxes. As a new ruler was coming in, he was trying to stabilize the kingdom over which he was ruling. Remember, as you move down the historical calendar from Egypt to Assyria, you get to Babylon and then to the Medo-Persian Empire, then to Greece, then to Rome. So you're moving from about 1000 BC all the way down to the time of Jesus. Those are the world empires. So when you meet Darius the Mede or if he's Cyrus the Persian, you've got the Medo-Persian Empire back to Daniel's dream in chapter 2. We'll see a little bit more in chapter 7. And we're talking about a world empire. So a lot to deal with. And money and the king's personal interest in protecting all of that, taxing and money was important. And so Daniel uh, has, has a lot of staying power. We've watched Daniel... Uh, through many different rulers, still be established as a main hub in the government. And he's here again. He has a great reputation, and maybe, you know, he lost his position for a time, but came back, and he's back again. And he's obviously a very trusted man. He has set himself apart. He has, as we saw in Daniel 5.12, an extraordinary spirit. Uh, the spirit of the holy God is within him, uh, Daniel 5.11, New King James. And Daniel began distinguishing himself, as he always did, verse 3, among the com commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Extraordinary is preeminent, excellent. The word spirit is ruach in Hebrew. It could mean the spirit of God or it could mean your spirit, as in you have a soul or a spirit. So if we said, man, that, that person has a lot, that person has a great spirit among them. When Jesus said, uh, God the Father is looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth, most scholars believe that John 4, 24, spirit there is your spirit. There are some that argue for the Holy Spirit there, but in spirit and in truth could mean from the core of who you are in truth, that's how God wants you to worship. That's John 4, 24. And so Daniel was distinguishing himself. He was a unique individual. He was extraordinary. Now, if you're not extraordinary, what are you? Ordinary. <laughs> now, I guess for some of you tonight, being ordinary shouldn't be that bad of a thing, I, I suppose. But I will tell you, as a Christian, you're automatically an extraordinary individual. Here's why. The spirit of the living God that lived in Daniel lives in you. Do you believe that? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And you might say, well, I don't find that surprising. People at work always are calling me extraordinary. <laughs> that is weird. Or whatever it may be. Man, you pray. Man, you do this. You do that. You go to church, you go to Bible studies on a Friday night. Dude, what's wrong with you? That's extraordinary. They may be saying weird. But anyway, <laughs> but here's the thing. 
You are beyond the ordinary because you are part of God's family. You've been adopted as a child of God. You are loved in heaven. God loved you so much he gave his only son to die for you. You are special in his eyes. Later, Daniel will be told by an angel that he is greatly loved in heaven. And do you know that you can claim that for yourself? You are greatly loved in heaven. Here's why. Because God loves you. And heaven is synonymous with God. And so if God loves you, you could stand upon a promise tonight that you are greatly loved in heaven. Do you believe that? Some of you, it's hard sometimes, right? Because we get this skewed view of love sometimes, and sometimes we have a skewed view of our own identity in Christ. We're not sure if that really applies to me. But it's true. God loves you. If you're a Christian tonight, he loves you. And even if you're not a Christian, he sent his son to die for you. Now you're going to see as we move through the chapter that Daniel becomes a type of Christ. And you could also say a type of a Christian. Let me explain. When you hear the word type in Bible, it's kind of like saying something is a picture of something else. And typology is a study. It's a study in and of itself in uh, theology. And when you study typology, normally when you see a type, it's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Daniel in the lion's den takes on a type or a picture of the coming Messiah. I'll show you how that works in a moment. But I just want you to keep that in mind. Now, Daniel uh, is obviously an important figure, and he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Look at the end of verse 3. And the king, Darius, planned to appoint him over what? Over the entire kingdom. Now, that is the main reason that the lion's den happens in Daniel chapter 6. One word. The word is jealousy. The other governmental rulers, 120 others and maybe others who were in the king's court, upon hearing that the king wanted to elevate Daniel over the entire kingdom, became jealous. When Pontius Pilate was dealing with Jesus, and no less than five times did he say, this man's innocent, I want to release him, right? He knew, the Bible says, he knew it was because of envy that the religious leaders handed him over to Pilate. And it was because they were afraid that if Jesus was elevated, they would lose their place. They would lose their place in the nation. And they became so concerned about their place and their position that it was for envy that they turned Jesus over. And that's part of the reason that Daniel's a type of Jesus. Because it's envy that uh, motivates this lion's den. And the lion's den is no less than a passion to kill Daniel. Then the commissioners, verse 4, and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. They began to hunt around. They heard that the king wanted to elevate Daniel, so they began to look for corruption. They, they figured if he's in government, there's got to be some corruption, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you think so? We'd like to think that there's not. Maybe there are some honest people out there, but it seems like when anybody gets into politics, they end up in this game where there's a shell game and there's lies and people tell you one thing just to get elected and then later on they don't follow through. Politics can be a very ugly, ugly place, as we all know. It can be ugly when 
uh, elections are going on and so forth. And they searched and they searched. And these men said, verse 5, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to what? With regard to the law of his God. They searched, they looked in his closet, they did a little background checking, they, they tried to find old video footage, whatever it may be. They could find nothing anywhere in Daniel. No corruption, no indiscretions, nothing. Just think about that for a second. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That, that the enemies of Daniel had to say, the only way that we're going to get this guy is if it's in regard to the law of his God, which tells you that Daniel's faith was not a secret. Some Christians seem to be convinced that their faith needs to be a secret in certain locations. No, it doesn't. Now, you don't need to be obnoxious at work. You don't need to be obnoxious at school. But people that you've worked with for a while should have an indication that you're a Christian. If not, something's wrong. Sometimes you may have worked with a person for many years and they, they find out you're a Christian and you find out they're a Christian and you're like, I didn't know. We've been working together since 1994. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You have to have witnessed to somebody in the company some indication, something, a gospel tract, something, right? So Daniel had a very public faith. And I think it's just because it flowed out of him. He didn't have to force it. You know, evangelism is the natural overflow of a heart in love with God. Prayer is a natural overflow of a heart in love with God. You don't have to force it. It's just who you are. If you're a Christian, it's just who you are. Amen? And so you, you obviously have to be wise and winsome about how you share and how you uh, deal with people at the company or at school or in your family, all of that. And so they couldn't find anything except in regard to the law of his God. And I had to park here, and in, in my notes I just wrote, wow, could that be said about me? <laughs> Could that be said about you? That they wouldn't find any other issues, no skeletons falling out of the closet, unless it was in regard to something that you wouldn't compromise regarding your faith. Well, these commissioners and satraps, verse 6, came by agreement. They went as a group to the king and spoke to him as follows. They said, King Darius, live forever. That's a common greeting to a king. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Hey, king, we've come up with a new program. We put our heads together, all the satraps, all the leaders and stuff. We've got a great new program for the company. Instead of employee of the month, it's going to be god of the month. And it's you, king. We want you to be the god of the month. We have a special sp parking space for you. We've got your picture on the bulletin board. Kling! King Darius, god of the month. Right? And we've just got, we came up with a document here. And we want you to sign it that you are not just deity of the day. You're deity of the month. How's that sound? Now, if you're the king, you're like, now, Persian kings were known for claiming that they were some sort of God, some sort of deity. In fact, as you move down historically, 
the Roman emperors began to claim that they had either God-like qualities or some of them claimed that they were the savior of the world. And in fact, when persecution began to rise in the Roman Empire, it was because the Christians would refuse to say that Caesar is Lord. The Romans would put up with the Christian church in the first century in worshiping Jesus, but what they wouldn't put up with was when a Christian at a certain festival refused to say that Caesar was Lord. That got the Christians in trouble. And so Darius is being stroked, you know, his ego's being stroked, and uh, they go to the king, but of course we know what their motives are, right? Who are they after? They're after Daniel. They know that they can't get Daniel in trouble unless it regards the law of his God. So they're manipulating their way to get their will done. They're using the king. Now, O king, verse 8, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Note in your uh, notes, if you're taking notes, Esther 1.19 and 8.8, which does confirm that once a king signed an edict like this, that it could not be revoked even by his own word. The document kind of sealed the injunction or the law. So once he signed the law, they knew that they would have their way. The king, King Darius, signed the document. Uh, you might want to sleep on something before you sign a document. Amen. We've all had those contracts before. We've all had salespeople trying to get us to buy in the spur of the moment. This deal's only good for the next 15 minutes. You've got to sign right now. Somebody says that to you, exit stage left. The deal will be good uh, two hours and 15 minutes later, because if you've ever walked out of a car dealer, when they say, 15 minutes, that's all we got here, they'll call you the next day. Hey, by the way, we can sweeten that deal now that you've left the dealership. <laughs> right? That's a ploy, and that's all that that is. So King Darius signed the document. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had a windows open toward Jerusalem, And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. Daniel continued to pray. If anyone, verse 7, makes a petition to any god besides you, O king, for 30 days, he'll be cast into the lion's den. End of verse 7. I'm sure Daniel knew it. Daniel knew about the document. Verse 10, he knew that the document had been signed. And yet he entered his house. He didn't close the window. He continued kneeling, notice, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Now, if you knew that a document had been signed that said if you prayed to any other God but Darius for 30 days, you'd be thrown into a lion's den. Let me remind you what a lion's den is. It's a place that you're thrown where they starve lions So that the moment that you hit the ground, they eat you. You are their lunch, dinner, breakfast. You're dead. Would you pray? Can I ask you an even more convicting question? Would it affect your devotional life very much if a law in America came down the pike and said, you can't pray for 30 days? You can't read your Bible for 30 days. Would that mess with your schedule? Well, we'd all say, I hope so. 
We all would like to say, man, I, I would respond in faith. I would get down on my knees. I don't care about what the government says. I don't care about, but look, when the document says if they catch you and you know people at, in your neighborhood or in the company are just looking for a way because they're jealous of you to kill you and you know that if your windows are open, they've probably been already hanging around. You've probably already seen the paparazzi outside the house, you know, the Persiazzi, whatever they are trying to, to catch you, what would you do? Would you go home after knowing a document? Would you discuss it with some of your friends? Would you say, Lord, for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray standing. Uh, Lord, I'm going to shut my windows because I just need to pray in, to you in private, right? But Daniel had a conviction, and he would not stop what he had done previously. He prayed Verse 10, he gave thanks before God. The Bible tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Short little exhortations. We're to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to give thanks in everything. Listen, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks on the 91 freeway? No, that's not God's will. <laughs> can, can that be God's will? To, to be a thankful person? To, to do everything in prayer? To not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make your requests made known to God? And the Bible says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do you believe those, those verses? There's a promise. So Daniel, probably in his 80s at this point, had a pattern of prayer. We all need one. I don't know if yours and mine needs to be three times a day in prayer on our knees, but could I suggest that maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea? Could I suggest that if you spent three times a day on your knees for one minute, that maybe your prayer life would improve and it would move from a minute to five minutes? And I'm speaking to myself as well. You see, this is, this is why we've heard sermons about dare to be a Daniel. One writer says, you pray as your face is set towards Jerusalem or Babylon. Jerusalem representing the city of God, Babylon the city of man. This writer says, most of the world begins the day, the lunch hour and the evening, looking toward the world and hoping to get something from it. But the Christian believer looks to the Lord and his promises and enters each new day by faith with a grateful heart. God is calling you and me to spend some time on our knees looking towards Jerusalem, looking towards the Lord, looking towards the city of God. I'm not talking about the literal Jerusalem because Jesus straightened that out in John 4 when he said, look, it's not that mountain or this mountain. What God really wants is for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about where you face. It's not about the posture per se, but it is about your heart. It is about your gaze. It is about where you're looking and what you're looking for in your life and to whom you are looking. Daniel said, I'm looking to the city of God. A believer who knows how to kneel in prayer will find strength, the strength of God to stand in trials. Let me say that one more time. 
A believer who knows how to kneel in prayer will find strength to stand in trials. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And brothers and sisters, tonight, I think a recommitment to our prayer life is probably more important than we could imagine. But I will tell you that prayer meetings in churches and prayer times before services are the least attended things that we do as a church. Why is that? Well, maybe because it's hard to make prayer a priority. Maybe because some of us don't know how to pray. We've all, maybe, you know, as newer believers, we've all experienced the pressure of praying in a group of people, right? And some of us have concluded that if you pray with a group of people, you must pray in King James English, right? Thou us, Lord. And, and have you ever noticed that certain people, maybe that you've known in kind of everyday activities, when they go into prayer, just something happens to them, they change, you know? Look, I understand the passion in prayer, but here's the thing. When you pray, it's just simply about communing with heaven. And maybe it's a little bit more about listening than it is about talking. It, it's about a heart attitude more than anything else. So these men, verse 11, came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. They found exactly what they were expecting. They knew, these men, men call them unbelievers, knew Daniel well enough to know that if they got the king to sign the edict, Daniel would pray. They knew it was going to happen. That's how consistent he was. They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Have you ever been caught praying? Have you ever had a child walk into the room and say, oh, 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 oops, sorry, sorry, mom, sorry, dad. I didn't realize you were praying. <laughs> Have you ever been somewhere on your knees, maybe in that secret place, and a loved one or somebody walked in on you praying? It's not a bad thing to get caught praying. Now, don't position yourself so you look super spiritual. You know, Stick your head out the door. <laughs> I heard a story of a kid that was praying out loud for a new bicycle. And he was praying especially aloud, and the mom could hear him from his bedroom, and he was praying something like this. Oh, Lord, would you bless me with a new bicycle? <laughs> so she came in. She said, Johnny, why are you praying so loud? He said, well, I'm praying to the Lord for a new bike, but I also wanted Daddy to hear. <laughs> right? I heard a story about a young Catholic boy a uh, very Catholic household. They had a room with a statue to the Virgin Mary, and uh, they had candles and all of the special stuff. And so he had been praying for a skateboard, but the, the family was very poor. And, uh, you know, his birthday came and went, no skateboard. Christmas came and went, no skateboard. So it was desperate time, desperate measures. So he went into the room with the statue of the Virgin Mary and the candles and everything. He stole the statue, and he went running out into another part of the room. And he stashed the statue away and he came back into the room with the candles and the altar and everything. And he said, God, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want a skateboard. <laughs> well, they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. And they said, 
Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? You did that, right? And the king answered, well, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, those Jews, you know, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but he keeps making his petition three times a day. He's still praying to another God, the God of the Jews, besides you. James Boyce, who's since gone to be with the Lord in heaven, said, if we practice our religion on the reservation and do not attempt to bring it out to the real world, the world will tolerate us. But if we determine to take a stand on any important issue on the basis of genuine religious principle, the fury of our secular society will break all bounds. Watch the culture get ferocious, to use the image of Daniel in the lion's den, when you take a public stand on the Bible. But see, this is what's going on in our culture right now. They don't mind it if we're cloistered behind these walls and we're speaking biblical truth, but go out into the public square, go out into the college setting and say, this is what the Bible teaches, look out. Well, that's what Daniel did. He kept the windows open. They caught him praying and they told the king. And as soon as the king heard the statement, verse 14, this statement, he was deeply distressed and he set his mind on delivering Daniel and even till sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. It can't be avoided. You sign the document. They knew he was scurrying around because he had regret. He was about to make Daniel the key leader over the entire kingdom under him, his right-hand man. And he realized that he had been used. You ever been there before? You ever had somebody manipulate you and sneak through a side door or back door and all of a sudden a document is signed and all of a sudden now you're on the hook and you have great regret because you realize that this is going to not only cost you, it's going to cost people that you love. Well, the king was stuck and he did everything he could, but he knew that he couldn't revoke the law because he had signed it. He knew he had been manipulated, but there's nothing he could do. And so he gave orders almost similar to Pontius Pilate. And Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, and uh, the way my understanding of the lion's den is they would have uh, like an open hole at the top and they would have different places for the lions and they could open like a door and the lions could be led into a certain chamber underneath the ground. So Daniel's dropped into the den. The lions are probably in another den and they're being held there for the moment. And here's what the king said. The king said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. And I don't know if that's a question. The NIV says, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. I couldn't save you. I'm sorry, Daniel. But this God that you serve all the time, may he be your deliverer. I can't save you. I pray he can. And you know what? He can. 
And he's already shown it several times in the book of Daniel that he can come into fiery furnaces and he can bring deliverance. But did the king really believe? I'm not sure he did because we're going to see that he is not able to sleep that night. But into the den he goes with well wishes from the king. Hebrews 11.33 says, By faith, people of faith in the great hall of faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, But the Lord, when no one supported me, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely home into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Paul said, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Probably some sort of mortal danger. So notice, as we think about the typology, as I mentioned earlier, a stone was brought, 17, laid over the mouth of the den. And the king, <coughs> excuse me, sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And I don't have to really tell you the connection, do I? Because Jesus was put in a tomb, and a stone was rolled over the tomb, and we're told in Matthew 27 that a seal was put on the tomb. And when they put a seal on the tomb, it was kind of stretched with rope, and it had like a signet impression. And if you broke the seal, you were breaking the authority of the legal government of the time, whether it be Rome or the Medo-Persian Empire. It was like a, an extra warning. So the tomb was sealed, and it would seem that Daniel's fate was sealed just as it would seem that Jesus' fate was sealed. Just like Jonah in the belly of the great sea monster, Daniel in the lion's den, and Jesus in the tomb, we can see that it seemed like the fate was sealed. The royal seal was put there. No unauthorized person could break the seal or touch it. And Daniel was there. The king went off to his palace, 18. He spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him. Uh, no late night shows, nothing like that. And his sleep fled from him. Did he really believe that Daniel's God would deliver him? Couldn't sleep that night. Sleep fled from him. And he spent the night fasting. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't you spend every night fasting? <laughs> Do you know, that's why they call it breakfast. It's a combination of breaking a fast. That's what breakfast is. By the way, Breakfast may not be the most important meal of the day, but all people who sell breakfast foods and cereals believe it is. <laughs> That's the commercials that they play for us, right? Breakfast, the most important meal of the day. If you eat that sugary Captain Crunch, it's a breakfast. if you have that Pop-Tart, how can you get that gooey fruitfulness into you? How many of you have uh, heard Brian Regan? He was reading the comedian, he was reading uh, instructions on the Pop-Tart uh, packaging, and he said, uh, literally, this is what it says, you can toast it for like a couple of minutes, or you can put a Pop-Tart in the microwave for three seconds. And he said, look, 
If you only have three seconds to spare to put the microwave, uh, the Pop-Tart in the microwave in the morning, you may want to loosen up your schedule. Just a, a word from Brian Regan. Anyway. I got to get out of here. I only have three seconds. <laughs> That's pretty much me because I'm late to pretty much everything. But anyway. <laughs> Thanks, coach. So the king couldn't sleep. Was Daniel sleeping? I think he was purring like a kid. Because we know the story, right? The king should have been the one that was sleeping, but he had to fast. I'm not going to have any strawberries and cream tonight. Don't feed me any grapes and turn off the late night show. <laughs> so terrible for the king, right? He couldn't sleep. Daniel was sleeping between some lions. He had some lion slippers on and kitties were purring and all that stuff. Well, the, the king arose with the dawn at the break of day. We know that when the women went to the tomb, Matthew 28, 1, they went at the beginning, as it began to dawn, at the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. With the first light of dawn, that was Matthew 28, 1, by the way, uh, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Now, the king's 62. It looks like he's dashing over there, right? He wants to see what's happened. Couldn't wait for the light of day. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a loud voice, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, probably, you know, they rolled away the stone, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Are we going to hear anything? Or are we just going to hear a, a growl from a satisfied lion? But Daniel spoke to the king and said, Oh, king, live forever. The king had to be going, Yeah! Now, if I was in the lion's den all night and that king threw me in, I wouldn't say, Oh, king, live forever. I'd say, Oh, king, it's your turn. <laughs> right? What a gracious individual Daniel is. Man, he survived the night in a den of hungry lions. And by the way, they would starve the lions so they'd make quick work of you. O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O oh, king, I have committed no crime. It could only be the power of God that can control the instincts of a desperately hungry lion and keep him from his prey. Can you imagine Daniel being down there? Daniel was a man of prayer. But when they open the chute door and the lions are coming in, oh, Lord, real <laughs> Yeah, that was a little Scooby-Doo for you anyway. <laughs> but he was delivered. And you know, his three friends were delivered from the fiery furnace earlier. And there was a fourth one that came into the fire and he was shining and he was described even by the pagan leader as one who looked like the son of the gods. And there are many scholars that believe the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, no less than Jesus Christ, before the manger, before Bethlehem, was in the fiery furnace and in the lion's den. Because if you take your stand, Jesus Christ will enter the fire or the den with you. And 
They, the, the three young Hebrew males said, King, we believe he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing to your statue. And I think Daniel had the same mindset. I don't know if God will deliver me. I sure hope so. That would be my prayer. But even if he doesn't, and we know that some Christians died dealing with the lions, died in the arena. The same bright and glorious being that was seen in the form of the Son of God, says Matthew Henry, with the three uh, youths in the fiery furnace had visited Daniel and it is likely in a visible appearance had enlightened the dark den and kept Daniel company all night. He shut the lion's mouths that they had uh, not in the least heard him. The lion of the tribe of Judah entered the lion's den and his roar is more ferocious than their roar. Do you believe it? Hail, hail to the Lion of Judah. How wonderful he is. Into the tomb, you could say, of Daniel came the Son of God, prefiguring his own death and resurrection. The Lion would rise from the dead, and he knows our fears and he knows our struggles. Daniel was found innocent. And you and I are found innocent by the blood of that great lion and lamb, Jesus Christ. One writer says, A picture and type of things to come, the rescue of Daniel from the lion's den was often used in early church frescoes and catacombs, which are the underground cemeteries uh, near Rome, Italy, to illustrate the resurrection from the dead. Uh, he says, Expos Expositors in the Christian tradition have felt that the details of the stone laid upon the mouth of the den, sealed with the king's signet, verse 17, followed by Daniel's deliverance, made this one of the great incidents in the Old Testament, foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus himself. And they were painted in the catacombs, these depictions to encourage Christians who were facing their own death, that they would rise again in Jesus. So the king was very pleased, 23. He gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den, a picture of the resurrection. They may have take, taken him up with ropes. I don't know exactly how they took him up from the pit, but you and I are going to be taken up from the pit in Jesus. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and I meant up from the grave. We're going to rise. No injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? He will make your path straight. The Lord is our deliverer. And he has delivered Daniel. And he has delivered me and you. And he will yet deliver us. Amen. From the lions of death. He's defanged death. The devil has no more ability to destroy us in that way. Because death has been defanged. Death uh, dies in the resurrection. Praise God. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death itself. And so the king gave orders, 24, as we wrap up, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. And all God's people said, Rup, bro. <laughs> and they cast them, this is brutal, their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I don't know how many of the governmental leaders went into the lion's den that day, but there were 120 satraps. And I don't know if just the malicious ones of the group were thrown in there, 
But in the ancient world, this is the truth, and it's brutal. But this is what would happen if you wronged the leader of a nation like this or manipulated him. Uh, Just as Haman in the book of Esther was hung on the very gallows he had intended for Mordecai, so these uh, governmental leaders died in the same lion's den they had planned for Daniel. God is a just judge, and one day he's going to judge those who have persecuted his church unless they repent. Warren Wiersbe comments, Daniel has a message for God's people today who are being attacked by the enemy and suffering because of their righteous stand for the Lord. Whether we face a fiery furnace or a roaring lion, we are in the Lord's care. He will work out his divine purposes for his glory. And then Darius the king wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, and he said, May your peace abound. And very much like Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter, I think it's four, three or four, (coughs) said these words. I make, make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. How many people did Daniel potentially save just by his faithfulness, his faithful witness? Doesn't he sound like a Christian now? And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. God's sovereignty is one of the major themes of the book of Daniel. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues. You may want to mark that. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The NIV margin says Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian, NIV margin. So that uh, may make the case that it was Cyrus. But I want to leave you with this last verse to apply to ourselves as New Covenant Christians. Here's what it says. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Amen? Father, thank you so much for the book of Daniel, and thank you for the precious saints who have come out tonight to study this great chapter. The lessons here are profound. An extraordinary man, a man in whom the Spirit of the living God dwelt, a man who was serious about his faith, a man who took stands very early in his life and was found faithful to the very end. Lord, that's what we want to say. We want to say that we have been consistent and we've been found faithful to the end. And Lord, we know we all have our weaknesses and shortcomings and we've probably failed when we wanted to take stronger stands in certain contexts. But May we dare to be a Daniel tonight. May you help us to be strong, to trust in you, to not fear man, but to fear God, to put your kingdom and its priorities first, to know that even if we end up in a spot that we didn't expect, you have the power to deliver. And often our consistent witness is a bridge to faith in other people, whether that's at home or at school or in the company or wherever it may be. And so, Lord, help us to dare to be a Daniel. Challenge us tonight with our prayer lives. Let us be like this man who communed with heaven, and that's why he was able to stand on the earth. Make us strong and give us hope. And as this, all, all this picture emerges of the resurrection, it reminds us that um, death will not have a final say for us because the lion and the lamb has overcome.
you keep your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Jesus, maybe you've been living in fear. You've been living in fear of death, fear of persecution, fear of so many things. Maybe fear has been, maybe you're a Christian, but fear has just been a gigantic factor for you. And we can all say that we're, we're afraid. It's a normal human emotion. But the Lord can give you courage to conquer fears. Sometimes he'll allow you to go through some, some circumstances that are beyond you. So you learn to lean on him. If you're a non-Christian tonight, you need to pray a prayer of asking Jesus to be your deliverer. Just something like this. Jesus, I believe you came to die on that cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living my life without you. But I, I repent of my sin and I place my trust in you. In your death and your resurrection. In who you are. and who you want to make me. So Lord, change me from the inside out. I want to be born again of your spirit. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He'll deliver you. If you're a believer tonight and maybe you've been overwhelmed by fear or maybe you've just been far away from God and you just want to come back to a place of intimacy and fellowship and dependence and reliance and love. Man, he's right here. He says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. So right now, in these final moments of this service, I just want to encourage you to draw near to him and the promises he will draw near to you. You can take that to the bank. And Father, for all the needs that are unspoken tonight, all the needs that may be um, deep in the hearts of your people, the prayer requests that they may have. I know you're going to minister to their needs tonight as they spend some time with you. So I just pray that you'd minister, pour out your spirit, pour out your goodness, pour out your mercy, pour out strength and perseverance to your people. Just help us to, bear, de, to dare to be a Daniel in our own lives, in our own families, in our own marriages, in wherever you place us. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen.